Chapter Twenty Four of Bonne Marie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Susanna Mason. Bonne Marie, a tale of Normandy and Paris by Henry Greville, translated by Mary Neal Sherwood. Chapter Twenty Four. A Surprise. Louis Morin's feelings while he roamed restlessly up and down his studio, and the rain thundered on his roof and poured down the gutters past his window were not especially agreeable or comforting. He was by no means proud of his conduct towards Lucien, but then her pretensions were so utterly absurd. "'Marry her,' said the young man, kicking over a chair, and then a footstool, which were in his path. "'I hardly know her. That is to say, I know nothing about her, whence she came, nor even how she came. It is possible she tells the truth, and that she has never loved anyone. And yet Clotilde told me he—' only the other day that she had a story. No, no, she is a mere adventuress, and hopes to make me marry her yet. If Louis Morin had thought for a moment, he could have seen that were Lucien an adventuress, her aims were not very high in choosing him for a victim, inasmuch as he was neither prince nor millionaire, and for a beautiful creature like that, who, if she were what he supposed, must estimate her beauty at its full value, to throw herself at the head of a painter, without any special reputation or fortune, and who was in all probability exiled for ever from the academy. It must be that some little love and disinterestedness were involved. Finally, some dim idea of this truth penetrated his selfish heart and brain, for he said aloud at last, as if in conclusion of all his meditations, it can't be helped she may be right but all the same men don't take their wives from the boards of a cafe concert having settled the difference between himself and his conscience by this decision he went towards bonne marie's portrait which he stood and examined in spite of the waning light unconsciously influenced by the idea he had just announced his imagination converted the dreamy poetical face of this portrait into another bolder and sensual the lovely eyes were enlarged by a little India ink, grew cold and hard. The lips were painted. Lucien was no longer the Bonne Marie whom he had depicted. She was a beautiful woman, audacious and piquant. No, no, men do not take their wives from the boards of a café concert, he repeated as he dressed for dinner. As the evening wore on, Morin was seized with a strong desire to go and hear Lucien sing. He said to himself that it was hard for the poor girl, after a day like this, to be compelled to appear that evening, for, although he thought her extremely bold and presuming, in attacking his dearly loved bachelor liberty, he was yet quite conscious of her many great merits, and he realized her entire sincerity. She had said farewell in a tone which he never heard before from human lips, a tone of almost despair and suddenly he recalled the lines of one of the ballads he had heard her sing so often, the one in which she had in fact achieved her first success. J'arcute ma sore ambroco, pour venir dans la grande ville. And the rich velvety tones of her touching voice stirred the innermost depths of his heart, and reproached him for his selfishness and hardness, for all the faults which belonged to him as a man of the world. He was unwilling to yield to his desire, however, for to return to the casino was to prove to Lucien that he had not the strength to stay away, and that he feared to lose her. Now, has it not been asserted that he who stands firm the longest and yields last is the stronger of the two? 
In marriage it may be different, but Morin had nothing to do with marriage. Therefore he stood firm until half-past ten, and then, as by the merest accident be it understood, he found himself on the Champs-Elysees. He made the judicious reflection that nothing was easier than for him to see Lucien, and she not to see him, as he need not take a seat, but could keep in the centre of the crowd. The rain had ceased to fall, the wind had gone down, but it was very cold, very cold, and Morin shivered at the thought that Lucien was at that moment probably exposed to this keen air as she sang with uncovered shoulders. With an anxiety, therefore, that surprised himself, he entered the enclosure, which he found almost empty. The concert had closed almost an hour earlier than usual. "'Why was that?' he asked of an acquaintance whom he met. "'Because Lucien did not appear to sing tonight. Her absence was unexpected, and they had no one to supply the deficiency.' "'Lucien did not sing?' repeated Morin anxiously. "'And why?' No one knows, and there seems, in fact, to be a world of excitement about it. The manager has lost his head, apparently, for they did not even make the usual announcement, in consequence of indisposition, etc. The audience were displeased, and they hissed and shouted. You too? Oh, yes, I did my part. I am an old philosopher, but a little excitement stirs the blood and refreshes one sometimes. Morin heard no more. He crossed the Champs-Elysees, and went directly to Lucien's house, so disturbed that he did not even think to take a carriage. He reached the door, but just as he was about to ring, he crossed the street and looked up at the windows. Lucien's were all black. One of them was open, and part of the white curtain was waving in the wind. This muslin troubled Morin. It seemed to him a sinister augury, and looked like feminine drapery suspended over some black abyss. He returned to the door and rang violently. "'Mademoiselle Lucien,' he said to the concierge. "'She is gone,' the woman answered sulkily. "'Where was the use of speaking politely to Lucien's visitors now?' "'Gone?' This was at least better than if the word dead had greeted Morin's ears, and so great had been his fears that this was an absolute relief. He choked a little, and then said in an indistinct voice, "'Where has she gone?' "'She did not tell me, sir. Would you kindly close that door as you go out, for a frightful draught blows through?' Instead of departing in obedience to this polite dismissal, Morin went into the room and laid a five-franc piece on the table before the concierge, saying as he did so, "'You do not know where she has gone, because she did not say. But you can at least tell me whether she went on foot or not?' The sight of this shining silver piece annihilated, apparently, the frightful draught, for the old woman made no further allusion to it. "'She went away in a carriage, sir,' she replied in honeyed accents. "'Had I known you would have cared to know, I could have easily heard the address she gave the coachman. The coachman took down her trunk, she paid all she owed, and went off as quietly as possible.' "'With her trunk,' repeated Morin. "'And at what hour was that?' "'Half-past seven, or it might have been a quarter of eight. Morin reflected for a moment. She had gone, and it was to fly from him, of course. But, equally, of course, it was a mere caprice. She would never leave her brilliant position and her enthusiastic public in this way, merely to annoy a lover who had displeased her. Did she leave no letters? Ah, this concierge did not know. But, in the hope of another five-franc piece, she proposed to go and see if Mademoiselle had left nothing in her apartment. 
Morn accepted this offer eagerly, and as she went up the staircase he followed without any objection from her. The door of the apartment was swinging in the air from one open window, while the others rattled dismally. The old woman closed the door, on account of the draught, and drawing a match from her pocket she rubbed it on the delicately tinted paper of the salon, and by this insufficient light looked for a candle. The candle was there, and faintly lighted the faded carpet and ordinary furniture Bonne Marie had thought so pretty, when full of childish joy she first took possession of the place. Alas, it was clear that she was gone, and gone with no intention of return. The chest of drawers were empty and open. Bits of ribbon and an old glove or two with some torn paper were all that was left. There was no letter. They looked everywhere, even on the bed so carefully made. She evidently did not intend to be traced and followed. "'It is very odd,' muttered the concierge. "'Very odd indeed, for before Mademoiselle Lucien came here, there was a pretty little lady with eyelashes a yard long, and she did not go away without taking care to leave her address for more gentlemen than one.' The coarse laugh of the concierge, the thought that the lady with eyelashes a yard long had once inhabited this room, which was to him like a chamber of death, cut to Morin's heart. He handed the woman another silver piece and went down the stairs with the greatest possible haste. He crossed the street again and looked up. The window was closed by the care of a concierge, and the curtain no longer flapped in the wind. It seemed to Morin that Bonne Marie had, had gone entirely out of his life, which would henceforth be as monotonous and commonplace as it had been before he knew her. The young painter went slowly back to his room. End of chapter 24 Recording by Susanna Mason